Welcome to Bible Study for Progressives, a show where moderates, liberals, and leftists of all faiths and ideologies come together to discuss scripture, spirituality, and politics. We engage scripture in its historical context, plumb its depths for wisdom and guidance, and apply its lessons to current events and social issues. Whether you're a liberal evangelical, a New Age spiritualist, a social justice activist, or a postmodern theologian, there's something in this show for you. Come, be energized in spirit and mind to understand the word and what it means to be a spiritual person in today's world. I'd like to introduce you to the to this podcast. Rosita, he is a host of two podcasts, Democracy on the Fire and Bible Study for Progressives. Democracy on the Fire is more about examining the causes of the collapse of democracy in America and around the world. What me includes we must do to save democracy. Try to build a movement about preserving the truth and democracy. Okay. So that's what he's trying to do with that. I think you should take a listen. If you're curious enough. And the second one he holds, this is more theologian oriented. Is Bible study for progressives. This is a podcast where moderates, liberals, and leftists of all faiths, ideology come together have a discussion, both spirituality, politics, and scripture. Discuss the historical context and apply to current events and social issues. So that's what these two are about. I think you should check check both of them out. Be more theologian, you lean left. This podcast is good for you. You can be a moderate. He invites moderates, which is good because they are the big bulk of the country. If you want to just please the um, fringe extremists, go right ahead. You will not be very popular. You only get short-term success, and you'll be a complete idiot. And then for Democracy on the Fire, again, this is more political, macro analysis of why democracy is falling, and not just in America, but around the world. It's true. It is in trouble. I've studied a few of this, so I agree what he's saying there. He's a theologian, a lawyer as well. So, and he has some interesting stuff. I really think you should take a listen because he's more than just a theologian and a lawyer. So, let's get started. Enough of me blabbering. All right, welcome everyone to Politically Entertaining with Evolving Randomness. I have a guest here who's going to share us our wisdom and Christian issues. We have Mr. Richard Proceda, and he is a host of not one, but two podcasts. So, very busy man. I thank him for his time. He hosts Bible Study for Progressives, which is good because, you know, they tend to label them as atheists or anti-God and all of that. And then there's democracy on the fire. I mean, um, there's a lot of examples of that on the fire, but to, today's current climate is definitely on the fire, and uh, we need to water it out as soon as possible. So welcome, Richard. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Elias. 
Did I say your name right? Oh, no, it's yes. Elias. That's fine. Elias. Okay, thank you. Sorry, I should have asked that before, but... Ah, it's okay. So. I did. <laughs> okay. Auth- I prefer authenticity than perfection in this, so... All right, cool. Cool. I can be authentic, but I can't be perfect. <laughs> yeah, so... As long as you don't try to act perfect and all that, it's fine. I, I, you don't see that kind of guy, so we're going to get along just fine. So we smooth sailing. Okay. So... Good. So there are... Um, the big thing, well, the big thing is one we're going to talk about is um, what is radical theology and how does that relate to today's climate, especially with um, regard to to the left, well, right wing is I, evangelical Christians. You know, we know about that whole ball game. That's so. Easy. I'm sure there's radicals on their end. Just be fair, be impartial. Yeah, but go ahead, take it away. So radical theology. It's a type of theology. I guess one of the things I wanted to mention about progressive Christianity is that progressive Christianity are open to a wide variety of theologies. And there is a wide variety of, of contemporary theologies. And they do not, it's not all just one belief system that forms Christianity. So there's a people, progressive Christians can be orthodox in their views and yet have liberal positions politically, but other progressive Christians are open to these different, more liberal, more, some cases, radical theologies. Uh, Some might call like liberation theology a radical theology. There are other theologies that perhaps are more radical. You've got these feminist theology, womanist theology, black theology, even a socialist Christianity and a sort of sort of grow grew out of liberation theology. So all these, so there's a wide variety of theologies out there, not just one. And so, and that's what I mean by radical theology. Like for instance, liberation theology. Basically, it's really not that radical when you look at the Bible, because the Bible can be very radical. So feed the hungry. Lift up the lowly, bring down the powerful, send the rich away empty. These are all radical message about community, about caring for one another, about loving our neighbors, even loving our enemies. It means basically to provide for people. And so these are kind of radical communitarian type of theologies, but they're really not that radical when you compare it to what what the Bible says. But they're certainly not necessarily evangelical about orthodoxy. Some progressive Christians are orthodox, but definitely not in the political conservative camp where one says, oh, on one hand, this is all about personal morality. This is all about end of life salvation. And it's fundamentalism and was essentially an apolitical theology. I don't know. I can explain this to you that. Billy Graham came out at a time when fundamentalism really was a reaction to modernism. It was a reaction to the discovery of science and enlightenment and the critique of scripture that developed out of that. For most of human history, all of science, all of philosophy was all religious. Politics was all religious. Everything was religious. And then when we had the Enlightenment, we started to make discoveries, started to separate politics from religion, trying to, 
We have not done that successfully. Religion is still, I mean, politics still has a lot of religiosity, as we've seen. In fact, I don't think that just simply separating the institutions separated the nature of politics or the nature of religion such that it made it apolitical. But the fundamentalists didn't like the idea of social justice and the social gospel, the social gospel that came out in the 1920, early 19th century was all about those things that Jesus taught, uh, feeding the hungry, creating a just world, that it was not just about end of life salvation, it was real life salvation, salvation in this world. And I guess you can call that radical to say that God came to save this world. God came to bring salvation to this world, not to the next. So it's nice to have a promise of life after death, but God doesn't force us to wait to die to have salvation. Salvation in the Bible is used most commonly with the, or most often in reference to the return from the Babylonian exile. So salvation was a real world thing. In fact, most of the time, that's what it's talking about in the, in the Bible. Salvation from oppression, from the powers, liberation from oppression. This is what it's talking about. This is all very highly political. It's about international relations, domestic politics, international politics. That's what scripture, that's the context in which scripture is written. That's the, that's what it's really about. That's what it's addressing. These are the documents of the Jewish nation. So, and they left criticism of their nation in it. So that we have the prophets and the prophets criticized the rulers and that continued into the New Testament with Jesus criticizing the rulers and the politicians of his days, which happened to be the Pharisees and the Sadducees, mostly the Sadducees, the Pharisees were religious leaders as well, which is a political leader in the ancient world. So that's a long way around radical theology, but there's a lot, it's just a wide variety of different ways. I mean, our schools of theology are filled with books and books and books about the Bible, about Christianity, the history of Christianity. So some idea that we only have one way of thinking about Christianity is just not in evidence. It's not the reality. The reality is we have libraries full. Still, this is a living document. Bible is still living, still being discussed, still being talked about, still being used still being relied on. Billions of people across the world are reading it. Very important document, but also a very blood-soaked and dangerous one when it's put in the wrong hands. And so this is why we want to, that fundamentalism that some evolved into evangelicalism in the 70s, and Billy Graham was out there doing some politics and people, he was criticized for that, for meeting with presidents and all that stuff. But then eventually the Christian coalition realized that, hey, religion is an organizing institution. Religion is an educational institution. Religion is a powerful motivator. And so they went in and started to propagandize the evangelical church, which had already obviously been propagandized by their own church to believe in one, what they believe. 
I mean, it's hard to separate out propaganda from teachings because they're sometimes the same. But that would be a sort of radical theology in the sense of a broad swath of many different views, many different approaches, and finding meaning in scripture beyond just the dictates of what the church decided scripture was saying over the years. So in other words, I'm relying on, rather than relying on the church and tradition as much, I rely on scholarship and the textbooks. I read a lot of textbooks on Christianity. And so that's why I started doing the Bible study for progressives. And I had a blog before that, Modern Lectionaries, where I was writing about scripture so that pastors can use, get a progressive message to Pete to preach, get a message to preach from scripture that isn't just the same old orthodox line, but actually looks at the historical, social, political context, the literary context, to try and figure out what the authors were really saying and what they were really talking about. And you, when you do that, you find that that might be quite different from what the church has taught over the years. And the theology the church has come to is something that developed through history, and sometimes it's not, it's gotten far away from the Bible, in my opinion, and what the purpose of scripture is, which is liberation, freedom from oppression, salvation for the people. So a lot of it, even Genesis, about governance. Humanity was given the right to govern ourselves when God said, take dominion and rule. And all of Genesis is about being a governance how to rule justly. And one point it emphasizes is do not kill. God does not like killing. And one thing people don't always know, realize is that God doesn't sanction or approve the killing of animals for food until after the flood. So before that, according to scripture, of course, this is not necessarily history. It's a, it's a mythological story that provides meaning and truth that we can use to learn and develop spirituality. A lot of the Bible is about the problem of human evil. And that problem of human evil start, is at the top with our governments. And so that's what we're dealing with in scripture. Anyway, that's a long roundabout way to get to radical theology because there's so many different types of theologies that it's hard to just pinpoint one. I mean, I pinpoint liberation theology, but there's a lot of people working to understand scripture and how it sort of supports a justice and what its real teachings are, as opposed to the teachings of the church, which sometimes good, sometimes not, sometimes kind of rigid, sometimes not open enough. There's a lot of problems with that. I like to go to, straight to the source and to see where other people, scholars are writing about it and um, support my positions, which is that God, Jesus, God, loves justice and wants a world where people are free, where we care for one another, where we treat the foreigner as one native born, where we welcome the stranger, where we love our enemies. This is God, where he sent everybody to populate all the world. He, God didn't want one ideology, one belief system, one sort of framework or paradigm because, well, I can assume why, because, but in the end, that becomes very limited. 
and can be very oppressive if one has to enforce a particular view on others. And we see that in the church as well. So does that answer your question? I'm not sure if I did. Yes, this is a podcast. Long, elaborate responses are welcome. I mean, if you okay, want to listen to something and relax, I mean, that's my understanding of a podcast, unless someone has severe ADHD and they can't mm-hmm. listen. But they can figure that out by cooking and cleaning and hearing all this while they're doing that. And they, they somehow absorb Awesome. God does work in mysterious ways, even though it looks disadvantageous. You know, even though it could look um, very disadvantageous, but, you know, he, he works on that. Okay, this lady, this lady, for example, was cooking, cleaning. Well, actually, I don't want to use that. It's going to promote sexism. <laughs> Let's use this clean aid. This man is cooking and cleaning, and you don't seem like he's paying attention to this podcast, but I'm sure he's grabbing a lot of ideas. So, no, because I, I do get the understanding, especially I dig deeper, that it's very complex, very diverse. The one I'm familiar with is some of the center left and, of course, evangelical right-wing teachers. But I notice that there are holes in there on thinking. Of course, this is not God's fault. This is sadly human interpretation. Those who are in power, who enforce you know, the so-called the correct way, the absolute correct way of God. Because, you know, God, God is not um, you know, hating and all that. You know, God's not just favoring, blessing this person because he speaks English while cursing this one because he's speaking Spanish. And they'll know they God's not a nationalist. That part, that part, you're absolutely right on. Um, mm-hmm. We do have to treat the the forms like native born. That's why when people say God is a conservative God, I said, eh, yeah. what about that feeding the hungry? It? You know, yeah. you know being anti-establishment. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure the examples. Me, I think God's beyond political identity. I think it's just silly to label him leftist. Right is God is God. That's mm-hmm. it. God is love. That's it. God is just not conservative or liberal or socialist to me. That's right. just silly. Right wingers right. have labeled him Christian. I mean, conservative because it fits their narrative. I don't right. hear a lot of left saying that, so I can't really pin them on on that. If anything, some of them have disavowed God, removed God, and to me, I find that even worse than mislabeling him. At least they acknowledge him and mingle with him, even though it's incorrect. You know, those are the, I prefer that's lesser the the two evils. But even though I think they're things to up, I just I you know, but I do agree. We need to try to look for the source, look at the scholarly. That's the thing. That's my refined position because sometimes we read the Bible itself. Certain verses are very hard to understand. They can be parables. Right. Mm-hmm. Some have mythological stories. So I, I I agree. That's why sometimes you read a little bit outside the Bible too. That that's relevant right. to the Bible, but it's I'm just getting a better um context because as certain family members are not very educated history, so you know these people have survival pressure of the superpowers at the time. You mentioned Babylon, very strong empire at that time with a lovely mm-hmm. rabid Nebuchadnezzar one time. He was a rabid animal. But that's my favorite part. Mm-hmm. I find it big comedic, but it was still very very harsh. I mean, I don't want to make a light out of everything. It'll also, be very insensitive. Yeah. But you know, he was powerful. Yeah. He was taken down. He was reduced to a rabid animal. That'd be one one wow. specific example of that. Um, yeah, that's in that's in scripture. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I I don't. I mean, I don't remember everything in there, but that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. For, for about seven years, I infer that he was he was his mind was as deluded as a rabid animal. Right. <sighs> Seven years. <laughs> yeah, well, that happens. And seven in the Bible symbolizes completeness. 
So that's sort of a way of saying he was completely insane, I guess, you know, to say seven years. So, you know, I didn't think of it that way, but yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think Seven, the only thing yeah. I like to add on for radical theology is are there any other small groups? You said there was a black one. I think I see that there's even an LGBT friendly one. There's that right. I've seen, in which to, to me is surprising. But I'm not shocked yeah, because gay. God, because you know, God is, you know, God is love, even though he might not like sin per se, but he would not kill them. He would not hate them or shun them from church. You know, right, I think you, you know right. we, we all, you know, we all flawed. You know, we, I mean, me, uh-huh. he, he hates some of the things that I do. Sometimes I could be prideful and self righteous at times. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. You know, everyone got flaws. You know, he can forgive murderers. Yeah, so, you know, and, right. We all have darkness. We all have a dark. I mean, I know I do. I can't speak for other people, but I know that I do. And I, my understanding is that everybody has a dark side to them. And that's kind of what the parable of the wheat in the weeds, where a f- enemy came and sowed in weeds into a farmer's wheat. And he said, let them grow together or else you'll pull up the good with the bad. And so we are totally in a mixed bag here good and evil mixed together not only in the world but within ourselves as well which is sort of the struggle that we face personally and politically because that expresses itself politically in the form of racism hatred using the power of the ballot to abuse people like vicarious criminality sometimes is what's being carried out in the ballot box with some of these religious and extremist ideologies. I, I, I really think that some people use their ballot to, to inflict harm on groups of people, use their vote, and that there's, it's part of our evil nature. And I don't think like I don't I'm not big on original sin. I don't think that. But I do think that the world has been full of evil, full of um, terrible stuff. And so we have this problem and we're going to have to deal with it. And I think some way scripture is one of the best ways to deal with it, because we have a shared book and shared stories that we can use to talk about these issues. So and. You know, God is complex in a way because think of, I think, like what happens to people when they die? Now, is it just as simple that they go to heaven? We don't really know, do we? I mean, there's a vast cosmos out there. Are we the only living beings, only God created us? It's possible. But at the same time, there's a lot out there. And then, but we haven't found any. So, our lives might be very rare. Life, intelligent life in the universe seems to be or maybe very, very rare. So in some sense, our, we are very valuable, very important because we're so rare and so unique. But maybe there's a whole lot of alien civilizations out there that we just can't communicate with because of time and distance. And that may be the case, too. And there is gay theology. There is gay theology and um, lesbian theology and all of that. And that's sort of what I mean when people 
you know, we're supposed to love our neighbors. It's supposed to be about love. And yet you go into church and we become very judgmental of other people. And this is sort of the problem with personal theology, too, I see, that if something's personal, then we can understand why people would become upset and use the church to be against abortion and against homosexuality. We can see why that becomes okay or becomes part of it because church is about personal morality. But in my opinion, scripture is not about personal morality. It's about the community. It's about collective morality, social justice, and how we are to live in a community. And so if we look at it that way, then we can see how diversity comes into play. How are we to live in a diverse community? Because even Paul had a diverse community. He had rich, he had poor, he had slave, he had free, he had men and women, people from different parts of the world, different countries. And one of the main attractions of Christianity at that time was that you didn't have to part of a land or a country to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And certain people were not allowed to be citizens, slaves, women, but at this community, you can be a citizen. Women, slaves, people from all parts of the world could be citizens. And that was a big attraction in the ancient world. And one reason, one of the reasons Christianity grew out of the many. Yeah, so, so it's hard to say what God is because it, the cosmos is so vast. If there is a God, what that God would be is hard to contemplate. But there's one thing that we can get from the Bible. The problem is the Bible is a ancient, sacred, blood-soaked, and dangerous book. How people use it often says more about them than it does about the Bible. There are a lot of passages in the Bible that are very offensive and advocating the killing of children for disobedience or a woman who didn't scream loud enough when she was being raped should be put to death along with the rapist forcing I mean, a lot of old things that no longer apply to us anymore. And we all recognize that, right? We all recognize that some of these old rules and old laws don't apply to our world today. So the question becomes, how do you distinguish between those things that aren't meant for today that we can't and those things that are? And that is what says a lot about the individual, because if you see that some type, if you think that you can reject people somehow or force women to cover their heads or whatever, control them and not allow them to control their own body or in the sense to force them to bear children. You know, we, we can just see how that doesn't really work within the context of a community where we have different people with different problems coming from different perspectives. And we're learning how to love one another and come together and get along. And, and that's sort of what we need to do as a nation too. And, but anyway, that's basically the sum total of what Christianity is about. It's not about our personal morality or being pure, or it's not about, we all know it's not about earning your way into heaven, but it's not about being pure either. It's about doing justice, living as a member of the kingdom of God.
and and that's where progressive Christianity comes in, or just Christianity in general, to teach us how we are to live and to and that's but it can be dangerous too, because there's stuff in there that people have used throughout history to justify slavery, the death penalty, war, and it's gone on from the beginning of history. So it's a dangerous book. And that's why we need to discern its lessons and study not just the scripture itself, but its history, the history of theology, the cultural, political, social context, to understand that what was going on there was a, a struggle for justice, just like there's a struggle for justice today. And that, in my mind, is what spirituality is about. The struggle for human freedom basically sums up human spirituality in many ways. Although I have had experiences of the paranormal and all of that. So there is a non-material world, but we're here with a mission and with a purpose, not necessarily to wait to die, but to live as God would want us to live or to live together in harmony. So that's the ultimate goal, I guess, here. And so that's why I'm trying to do a lot on democracy and I get into politics. So I've been really working with democracy under fire, uh, trying to create a a movement capable of saving democracy that's not divisive, that isn't going to divide us along the lines of race, religion, and ideology, which is what propaganda does. And if we could stay, keep from being divided on those lines, then we, we can come together as a country again. This has been Bible Study for Progressives. If you enjoyed the program, please subscribe to our podcast or put us in your favorites and write a five-star review. Tell your friends about us and share us on social media. Follow us on Facebook and click the donate button at modernlectionaries.blogspot.com. Your support will help us reach more people, produce more and better shows, and cover the cost of production. Feel free to send me a note or comment on the show. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, this is Rich Proceda. Thank you for listening.